This is the Commonwealth City Church Podcast. Thanks for listening. Commonwealth is a church in Lexington, Kentucky. For more info, visit our website at commonwealthcitychurch.com and follow us on Instagram at comcitychurch. We hope you enjoy the message. So our vantage point for today is really just going to be a reflection of David's thoughts, because as he's, as he's writing these psalms, that, that ultimately is what he is, is trusting the Spirit of God to reveal the words to him um, as he writes what really are songs in this. And um, so our vantage point is just going to be a reflection of his thoughts and, and what really what he thinks about God. So as we take this first journey through the first eight verses of this psalm, we'll see in verse one, first he says, preserve me, O God, which is really... His, his petition, he's asking for something. There's, there's hardship going on in his life, and there's, he, he needs something from God. So that's the, that's the first thing that he says. Um, but that's really the only time that you hear of him asking God for something throughout the rest of this psalm. The, the, the rest of it is really just declaring who God is to him consistently through these, through these first eight verses to where he gets to the end of verse eight and ends with, I will not be shaken. And his confidence changes drastically in this. And it really changes from preserve me, O God, where we don't really know what he's asking for God to preserve him from. Uh, It's almost a confusion to us. And then He gets to, I will not be shaken, and really just a settled joy comes over him through those next three verses as well. So how does David get from preserve me, O God, to I will not be shaken? We're just going to go verse by verse and and look at how he declares God as his Lord. So in in verse 1, preserve me, O God, for for in you I take refuge. David is obviously seeking preservation from something. Um, there is a great desire, we know this of David, there's a great desire in his heart to, to have the heart of God. Like we hear this all the time about David, that he would be a man after God's own heart. It was kind of like his nickname or his, his phrase line, whatever you want to call it. Um, so when, when David encounters things of this world that, that do not glorify God, it makes sense that his thoughts would often turn for God to preserve him for God to keep him and protect him from the things of this world. Um, and, and he was in so many positions throughout his life of, of leadership and stature that, that he needed this. He, he desperately needed this from all the temptation that was coming his way. And really, even in verse 1, before he actually says it in verse 2, David's thoughts are starting to conclude that there's just no good in this world apart from God. He, he says this in verse 2, but he's already starting to thank this when, when he says, God, preserve me. Because I, I know in my prayer life, I often am, am saying, God, preserve me. Or any sort of petition. Um, and confessionally, that's when my prayer stops far, off, far too often. Um, and David gives us a great example as he continued to declare who God is to him throughout the rest of the psalm. He continues to press into the heart of God and his character. And we get 
to look into more specific examples of that as, as he goes forward. So, so as we go through this, as, as you're thinking about these characteristics um, in your head, in your life, be thinking of ways and, and stories, whether it's um, personal to you or whether it's a biblical story. Be thinking of how you could be a declarer of who God is to you, to, to those around you, your neighbors, your family, your friends. Um, because there are so many examples, not just in Scripture, but in our testimonies of how God is all of these things to us. So the first one in verse, in verse 1, at the end of verse 1, for in you I take refuge. David is declaring God as his refuge, God as his safe place. Not necessarily just a geographical location, but David asking and pleading that he would have a greater desire for God in David's everyday life, that he would lead him to his heart to a safer place, that he wouldn't dwell in thoughts of lust. Obviously, we know this with David or um, pride as a stature as king. Um, and, and really, it w almost would make the most sense if, if verse one actually said, Be because I take refuge in you, preserve me, O God. So pres the preservation of being kept safe in, in the heart of God, David's heart being transformed to that, because I take refuge in that, because I get to rest in that safe place, preserve me, God. Because David is declaring that God is his refuge and not the things of this world. We're, it's going to be consistent with this today, but that, that is what he is declaring, is that these idols and all of these parts of this world that do not glorify God would not be a part of who he is. His position as king comes with a lot of pressure, comes with a lot of decision making, it comes with a lot of people looking up to him and maybe asking him for, for favors or offering him favors. And he's called to run after God and run away from the things of this world. And he's de declaring in the psalm that that's the man that he wants to be. In verse 2, David declares God as his Lord. He says, I, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord, and I have no good apart from you. He, when he says that you are my Lord, that also means that he is his, his master. He's sovereign over him. Uh, and God is so much his master and, and his sovereign to David that he declares that there's nothing good in this world apart from you. All of my obedience reflects you and, and is in you. I get to have joy in you and it leads me to obedience. And I, I think it's also important to realize as we read these verses and we, we talk about uh, God as David's refuge and, and God is David's Lord, his master and his sovereign. That, uh, he's not, David is not speaking to this as, as someone that knows it all or speaking to this as, as a Superman type figure who's had this figured out since birth that he was loving God as his refuge and his Lord and his treasure and all these things since he came out of the womb. Like, no, he's, ex he's experienced what it's like to not have God as his refuge, to not have God as his Lord He's let his thoughts go to deep, dark places. No, he talks specifically about how his heart instructs him in the night later on in this passage. Um, 
He's experienced all this for himself, and he knows how easy it is to chase after the things of this world and come up empty-handed every single time and just let them slip away. Because I know for me, this is probably one of the things that I've reflected like, well, David sounds really confident in this passage. But I think it's important to remember his status as a, as a human and his sinful nature um, that led him to things of this world that would, swip, that would slip away every single time, just like they would for us. In verse, verses three and four, as for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. So the saints of the land, um, David is referring to God's people here. He's referring to holy ones, people that worshiped God and obeyed him. Um, it's interesting that, that David says in verse 2, I have no good apart from you. Uh, and then he immediately starts talking about the people of God. And he even says that he delights in them, that they are excellent in whom is all my delight. Um, and also, I think it's, it's not clear necessarily in this, in this translation, but really verse 3 is a continuation into verse 4 where he says, Hey, saints of the land, I, I love you and, you and you're excellent and I have so much delight in you. So this, basically he says, I say to you the sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on his lips. I, I um, am often have a very similarity with, with David in this passage because I, I love God's people. Uh, I, I love community. I love this community. I love getting to be with you all. Um, it is truly a gift. Um, but I constantly need to remind myself that this can become an idol as well, that I can run to the people of God for protection instead of the Father for protection. Um, I often have to remind myself that that is a way that I can run to the world as well because we are in it. And if we're not careful, we can dwell in our sin in that way. So David, this is what David is telling the people here. Don't run after the things of this world, but run after God. We have to remember that that we shouldn't delight in God's people above or in replace of God, but because of God. It's a gift to us. It's a gift to us to get to be with one another, get to get to be nourished by the Spirit of God from one another. Yet often we just run to it for protection. We run to it for our comfort. And we're really meant to be sent out from it to places. And, and, and really, like, this is a, a commissioning to us in, in the middle of this passage because if we let our flesh continue to delight in each other above God, like, we're going to end up letting each other down. Why, why is that? It's because we're sinners. So the commissioning is in First Peter 3. I, I remember this verse all the time when, I, when I'm thinking about the people of God and what we're called to do. But there's just this little snippet that says, make a defense to anyone who asks for the reason for the hope that is, that is in you. Let's not forget that we're called to this. Make a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you. Let us not forget what our hope is.
Our hope is that Jesus came to die and be raised so that we could be adopted into the family of God, and that is where our joy is in. It's not in one another. And, and with, without this, there's nothing. Without the death and the resurrection of Jesus and being adopted into the family by the Father, there, there is nothing and there is no joy. So what's our hope? It's in Jesus, and I hope that we give a defense of where our joy comes from to those around us. We're going to move on to verse 5. It says, The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. Verse 6, The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. David is declaring God as his portion and his cup can also be translated as his, his real wealth or his, his treasure and, and cup as, as his pleasure. Uh, if, if you were here with us last week, uh, Andrew preached on Psalm 115 and he gave us um, a pretty lengthy list of some different idols. Um, and they were probably just as eye-opening to you as, as they were to me. And maybe you went home last week and were just reflecting on how many of these you actually do worship as, as a God, just like David talks about in this passage. And, and so at the top there, just to give you a little refresher, it said, life only has meaning or I only value, or I only have value if, and there was all these different sentences for idols and stuff. And so there were two that really stuck out to me. One of them was the approval idol and the achievement idol. And I know that like I have such a tendency to seek approval from others. Um, even in my prep for this this week, I have to just be so careful of where my thoughts go and like letting my words be so miraculous and all of that. And like, and often I think I read these verses from the perspective that, that David doesn't struggle with these things, that he is just speaking in total confidence that he's never done this. So we have to be careful to read these verses, to not read these verses from the perspective that David was removed from all of these thoughts and actions, from all of these idols that we've been talking about. I know I tend to do this, but we also have to realize that while David writes a sentence that God is his portion and his cup, he also could have wrote a sentence or many sentences of all the things that weren't his portion and all the things that weren't his cup. Um, I just got married recently um, within the past month. Um, and uh, it's been... It's been amazing, and, and we've, we've gotten to learn so much in a month of marriage. Uh, Emily and I dated for three years, and I felt like I've already learned as much in a month and a half of marriage than I, than I had in three years. And so um, at, at our wedding, um, if, if Andrew's ever done your wedding, he's probably done this with you as well. I know the Musalios are here. I saw them come in. Andrew did their wedding. But he always tries to make this joke at close to the end of his sermon where he's speaking to the groom, and he's like, hey, Trey, it's like, we're getting close to that kiss. I know you're really excited for it. Hey, Josh, like, we're getting, I know I was at Josh's wedding, so I remember him saying this too. We're getting close to that kiss. I know you're getting really excited for this. And whether you think that's a good joke or not, I, I guess is up to you and Andrew. <laughs> but what's, 
What's good about it is that it's true. He says that with confidence because I don't know of any other grooms in this room, but that's an exciting moment. Finally getting to kiss your bride for the first time. Because, yeah, like Emily looked so beautiful on that day. And like, I got to absolutely just adore her all day long. Um, and as much as, as beautiful as she looked in her wedding finery and all of that, and is really a, a symbol of what that is as we uh, come before Jesus on the throne and like get to just be so beautiful before him. Like ultimately, I had to come to the realization that God really doesn't, he's not gonna care like what we have on when we approach the throne. He's not going to care of like exactly what we look like and how our hair looks or, or you know, if we've got fancy jewelry and all of that. Um, so as much as, as beautiful as, I, as, I, as Emmy looked on that day, like I have to remember that Emmy isn't my portion and she's not my cup, but she's a gift. She's a gift that I've received from my portion, from my cup, from my greatest treasure and my greatest pleasure. David continues to declare him God as his greatest treasure and pleasure amongst all the options, all the things that he has in this world, all the idols and earthly treasures, David declares that God is his treasure and his pleasure. In verse 7, he declares him as his, as his counselor. He says, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. A counselor is often translated as someone who, who gives advice or instruction. It's, it's very similar to how we would use that word in the English language. And David's counsel is really all of what he's declaring to God in, in this psalm, right? Like David wasn't just birthed with the knowledge of God as his refuge or his sovereign Lord or his treasure or his pleasure, but God has counseled him to know and to trust these things. And in the second half of this verse here is, is really a, a confession. He's saying, I bless the Lord. You, Lord, you give me counsel. Um, and in the night also, my heart instructs me. And David's confession is that he knows where his heart will take him at night. He, he's experienced it. He's reflected on it. He's, he's been convicted by it. He's gone days of just his thoughts driving himself crazy of like where, where they let him go at night and they've led him to horrible actions. And, and he's been convicted by this. So he says this with confidence, almost just like as a Lord, I've had enough. I can't do this anymore. He's declaring, God, you are, you are so much of a better counselor than my own heart could be. He's tired of being self-sufficient. He's tired of doing this on his own. He's saying, God, there is no good apart from you. You have to be my counselor. You have to lead me and advise me in this world. I can't do it on my own. David is declaring that God is a better counselor than his own heart. I know I often let my, my heart be the main motivator for, for the way that I live and my emotions get a hold of me. And David just puts it on a platter for how we may just cherish God. So this leads us to verse 8, where he says, I have set the Lord always before me. I've, I've done all these things in the previous verses. I've declared you as my, my refuge, my sovereign Lord, my treasure and my pleasure and my counselor. 
so that, I, so that I will not be shaken. And then he gets to this confidence where he's just declaring this of, of who God is to him. And, and he kind of gets into it in verse 7 where he's like, I know my heart instructs me in all these things, uh, but God, you are my counsel. You are my treasure and my pleasure in verse 5 and 6. Uh, I, I love God's people, but I know that I can often uh, have them as an idol over my life as well. And in verse 2, Lord, you are my sovereign Lord, and you are my refuge. And he declares that with confidence up to the point where he says, I will not be shaken. I know that we tend in, in prayer just to go so deep into the into the requests and the asks and every and everything for God to just do something to us and I I just want to continue to be vulnerable it's something that I've learned from my wife already is that she's so vulnerable and she just models that so well for me Um, before my study of this psalm I really often fail to see what intimacy with God looks like in prayer because I I leave this out I have a tendency to leave out a constant a consistent declaration of who, of who God is to me and his character. And I tend to just go straight to asking God for things and leave out an exaltation of who he is. As the only way that David knows that God is going to preserve him and that he will not be shaken is because he has a confidence that God is his refuge, that God is his sovereign Lord, his treasure his pleasure, and his counselor. So I want to express just like my gratefulness to you all for this psalm. It's been a gift to me from God. It's taught me so much about um, how I pray. I've just even like been reflecting this week as I've been praying, like I'll, I'll go to start praying and I'll like, my flesh wants me to just immediately start asking for things. And it's brought me just peace to just stop and rest and say, okay, God, like you are my refuge. Like I'm asking these things to a God that is sovereign over me and knows my steps and reveals the path of life to me. So since David has always set the Lord before him, this leads him into the confidence of of these last three verses. It says in in verse nine, it says, therefore, what's therefore, therefore, he's reflecting on all the things that he said before. And he gets to this confidence where he says, therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. David is reflecting on all of these declarations of who God is to him beforehand. And then he goes into verse 10 where he's really, this is what he's wanting to be preserved from. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol and you will not let your Holy One see corruption. David is desperately wanting to be preserved from death. And, and David is saying with so much confidence in these last, last few verses that God's love for me is so strong that I cannot believe death will strip it from me. God's love doesn't just bring David security, but it brings him an ability for his whole being to rejoice and have pleasures in God forevermore. It's not just something that he's going to receive from God and get to love and, um, you know, for a few seconds or a few days and, and then just go back to the way that he normally lives. This isn't just something that he's receiving from God, but it's something that he gets to have in God forever.
in verse 10, I just been reflecting on this all week for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol you will not let your holy one see corruption friends for for those of you who adore Jesus in this room who and who love him and would call him Lord over your life we just have to reflect on what this means for us remember we're reflecting on on David's thoughts here and when he is saying that he is the holy one that will not see corruption the only reason that this is true. The only reason that David does not see corruption is because Jesus was the ultimate one who did see corruption. <laughs> this, this passage comes up again. Psalm 16 comes up again in, in Acts 2 and also this, this thought of, of Jesus receiving corruption. Um, it, it's in the middle of the Apostle Peter's sermon where he uses it um, by the Spirit of God to 3,000 souls are, are saved in the midst of minutes. Where they, uh, after, after this uh, passage that I'm going to read here, they are just like, Lord, or Peter, like, what do we need to do? And that's how just eager they were to come before the throne of God. Uh, so, so in Acts 2, verse 22, I'm just going to read this. It says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed him by the hands of lawless men. That sounds like corruption. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, this is Psalm 16, I said to, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, and that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced, my flesh also will dwell in hope, for in you, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the path of life, you will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Guys, let us not forget the reason that our flesh dwells secure. We don't place our hope in one another. We don't place our hope in our friends or our families. We don't place our hope in our jobs or our hobbies. And we definitely don't place our hope in the dark places that we may run away to at night or let our thoughts be taken captive by the things of this world. But we place our hope and know that our flesh dwells secure because when Peter says that David's tomb is still with us today, he is saying that with confidence that Jesus' tomb is empty. He's saying it with confidence that he escaped, Jesus escaped, and that he was raised so that we wouldn't be abandoned, so that we wouldn't dwell in the grave. We get to have a better hope in Jesus, better than David and if you, if you don't believe in Jesus in, the, in this room today, or if you, maybe you just know someone who doesn't believe in Jesus, I would just like commission you to share this, this last verse with them. Because of this truth, folks, this is what we get to trust in. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness 
of joy at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And this is not just something that we get as a, as a gift of our salvation. Absolutely, we are going to get to be in heaven and it's going to be amazing. But we get to rest in the presence of God now on earth through the Spirit. So someday we will not just sense him at our side, but we will see him face to face. And just like Adam said, we will be giving be given glorious new bodies. Um, and that will be truly pleasure forevermore. So, so as we close, I, I just have a few questions for you just to reflect on as, as we go this week. Um, and the first one, it says, in what ways do you put a false trust in this world? Let this just be a confession for you. Um, as you continue to seek God's heart um, and you continue to declare who he is, to you, maybe there's just some things that you need to let go to the Lord and just like repent on behalf of having more joy in the things of this world than in Christ. Second one, how can you be a declarer of who God is to you this week? Maybe there's somebody in your life that you've just been really having a desire to, to share with, have an intimate relationship with um, in conversation. So just think about that this week. And then the last one, what does your joy rest in? I often have to ask myself of this, where does, where does my joy rest in? Is it in the things of this world or is it in Christ? And I ask that you would just reflect on that and really just remember all of the different ways in your life that Jesus applies where you think that he is just shut out and that he truly can be involved in all of them. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much uh, for today. Thank you for... Um, oh, just thank you so much for this passage. Um, thank you that we're offered preservation in you, uh, that you are a refuge, that we get to say to you uh, that there is no good apart from you because there truly is not, Lord. Don't let us depend on the things of this world. Uh, God, thank you so much um, for the people of God and the family of God. Um, I truly do delight in them, God, but don't let me delight in them over you. Don't let me delight in them as my protection, but solely you. Lord, you are our portion and our cup. We have a beautiful inheritance in you. Be our counselor and not our own hearts. May we just continue to set the Lord always before us. shaken. Our flesh dwells secure only because of you, Jesus. Thank you so much for your sacrifice. Thank you so much for receiving corruption so that we didn't have to. May we just rest in your presence. We love you. It's in your name. Amen.